You're listening to Tech Square ATL. We tell the stories of Tech Square, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene. Breakthrough talent, breakthrough ideas, and breakthrough companies. All right, welcome to the Hump Day Exchange. This episode's entitled Women's Planning. Woman's Planning, excuse me. I'm your host, Scott Henderson, a.k.a. Scotty Hendo on the interwebs. Uh, we're recording in front of a live audience here in Tech Square, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene, and we're excited to bring you this episode. Hump Day Exchange is a collaborative effort of Sandbox ATL, ATDC, and Georgia Tech Scheller College of Business. So one of my first jobs after college involved working with medical college alumni celebrating their 50th anniversary reunions and higher. At the time, it was about you know, the 1930s and 1940s classes. And that meant I got to meet the pioneering women who often were the only female in the class. Geez, did they have stories to tell about how their classmates and professors treated them pretty harshly? Um, quite surprising, eye-opening to me. And so it was an early glimpse of an all-too-common experience for women in the STEM fields. And that's why I'm excited about this episode entitled Woman's Planning, which features three female perspectives of the challenges and opportunities women face in today's technology sector. So we're excited to have joining us today, Jen Bonet from ATDC, Wei Chun Tai, did I get that right? From, Mo I always forget, is it Tay or Tai, and I got it right, thank you, Tai. From Mosley Ventures? Taiwan. Yeah, that's right, it should make sense. You're from Taiwan, so it's Tai. Ah, and playwright Annie Harrison Elliott. So excited to have them. Uh, if you're listening to our show for the first time, here's how the program will go. After a short introduction to the topic, I'll invite each guest into the hot seat for a one-on-one -on -one conversation focused on their perspective. And once all three are through, we'll gather them uh, for a roundtable conversation when they get to ask each other questions. And then we'll finish it with a town hall-style Q&A with our live audience guests. So let's, let's begin with setting the frame. So for those of you who know your history, it, it comes as no surprise the technological breakthroughs women have brought to the world. So just perusing the United States Archives website, I found uh, a great uh, uh, web page about the untold stories of women in technology. And I found five notable examples, just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, uh, Ada Lovelace is considered to be the founder of scientific computing and the first computer programmer. Her algorithm was the first one designed for a machine to carry out. Rose, Rosalind Franklin was a British chemist and crystallographer. Uh, I can't even say it right. She studied crystals. Uh, best known for her research that was essential to uh, really figuring out the structure of DNA. Uh, and then as part of the secret World War II project, six young women programmed the first all-electronic programmable, programmable computer. Uh, and these women, a.k.a. the ENIAC programmers, never in, were never introduced or credited for their work. Uh, Catherine Johnson, an African-American space scientist and mathematician, played a huge role in calculating key trajectories in the space race, uh, helping out a Alan Shepard, the first American in the space, as, as well as the 1969 Apollo 11 flight to the moon. Uh, and Rear Admiral Grace Murray Hopper was at the forefront of computer and programming language development from the 1930s to the 1980s, and her crowning achievement was the development of computer languages written in English rather than mathematical notations. So, Yet despite these type of contributions, many folks are unaware of the role women have played and continue to play in advancing technology. Even worse, we've seen an av avalanche of headlines about how female founders and technologists are treated in the workplace and by investors. You might remember the 2015 sexual harassment uh, case of a former venture capitalist at Kleiner Perkins Caulfield and Byers, one of Silicon Valley's top firms, and she's written a, a book uh, called Reset, which just came out, about her experiences telling her side of the story. 
Um, and earlier this year, the technology world was rocked by revelations of many prominent investors embroiled in sexual harassment allegations and admissions of guilt. Um, a former female Uber employee's blog post exposed the toxic culture within that company, leading to the CEO's, CEO's ouster. And just very recently, a gentleman from Google uh, posted some ideas that uh, really inflamed the, the conversation as well. And all of these things aren't happening in a vacuum. I mean, you can turn on the news and scan through your social media streams to see we are definitely living in interesting times. What appears to have been significant in social Social and political gains for women in, in recent years are under siege by a current wave of populist nationalism seeking to seem to knock down everything that was built by the previous administration. But despite all of this, we still have great problems to solve and frontiers to discover with women playing critical roles in these endeavors. So enough of me mansplaining, womansplaining. Uh, let's dive into this conversation so we can learn more about the challenges and opportunities women face in the technological sector and startup world. So to get started, let's welcome into the hot seat Jen Bonet, the general manager of ATDC. So as general manager, Jen leads ATDC's programming on campus and throughout the state of Georgia. Uh, she is a technology entrepreneur with 20 years of experience in information technology and software development, specializing in web and mobile. She's also the chief chick and founder of Startup Chicks. Welcome, Jen. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Well, we might have to update my bio. I think it's almost 30 years <laughs> well, in technology. How about that? Well, uh, let's start off with um, what was the moment that you decided that uh, IT and software development was a, a career path for you? Uh, yeah, so I sort of fell into it. Um, I loved puzzles as a kid. We're talking like, you know, four years old, putting together puzzles. Um, when I got to high school, I was very, very good at math and, and science, and my computer, or my math teacher decided to offer the very first computer class in my high school my senior year, and he bought a bunch of TRS-80s, the Radio Shack computers, oh, yeah. and put them in there. a lab and said, Jen, you got to sign up. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's first, first period. I have first period free. I get to sleep in every day. He's like, no, Jen, you're going to sign up. And so I signed up, and I sort of fell in love with computers right there. It was just so fun. It was like solving a puzzle and having it like in real time show me what worked and what didn't. I went on to major in mathematics and computer science at Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, so liberal arts college. I was one of the few. Um, folks at a liberal arts college start studying math uh, and computer science. You know, it's a typical story, 18 people in my class got Bachelor of Science in Mathematics and Computer Science and only two were women, me and one other. Sh Sharon was her name. We were very close. <laughs> um, I did have an unusual experience there because my uh, faculty advisor was a woman, mm. so um, a computer scientist that, that, at that time. Um, when I graduated from college, it kind of just followed suit that I would get a job in technology. I started my career with a company called EDS, Electronic Data Systems, and spent uh, the first five years of my career with them, hopping from project to project to project. I've lived in three foreign countries while programming on kind of hot projects for them, uh, Belgium, Australia, and England. I eventually decided that I wanted to be in Atlanta and they wouldn't transfer me, so I quit my job, moved to Atlanta, and within about six hours, I had a job <laughs> as a computer <laughs> scientist uh, that could actually communicate as well. 
and um, joined a consulting company at first, left that consulting company, went to join a company called TSW International, which became Indus International. And at the age of about 29, I was running a team of uh, global software developers, around 120 people on three continents. And um, that was all before I started my startup career. And then you got into that. Yeah, so I got bored uh, in corporate America and decided uh, that this thing called the internet, 1997, this thing called the internet was happening and I needed to be a part of it. And I wasn't even allowed to have a browser <laughs> on my corporate computer. So um, me and three friends started a search engine. Yes, there were search engines before Google. I want to point this out. It, Google did not start till, till 2001. So in 1997, I wrote a search engine that uh, used machine learning, artificial intelligence algorithms to decide what sites it should deliver to you based on what you typed in. And that was the beginning of my love affair with startups. Hmm. So uh, what were the obstacles that you encountered? I mean, you went through a, a pretty good track of what you've done, so give us an appreciation for friction and, and yeah. walls that you kind of ran into. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, especially um, kind of the first time I really well, I guess right from the get-go, I looked really young. So not only was I a woman, but I looked like I was 12 in my little blue suit, in blue pumps, in white shirt, in little tie, little tie at EDS, right? So um, I, there were a lot of issues getting, feeling credible, right? Feeling credible, um, getting to, you know, get to the point where I could give a presentation at a meeting for a customer site, things like that. I was, it, you, you had to fight for it. If you wanted to be the expert, you had to fight for it and you had to go to the boss and say, I want to present. It was my work. I want to present it, not have one of the guys on the team present it. So there was that. I, I think one of the unique aspects that I had is because of the international aspect of some of my projects. Um, after living in England and Belgium, um, I learned that we actually had it pretty damn good. <laughs> um, it was much more sexist in England in the late 80s, early 90s than it was here. I actually felt that one of the reasons I was a vice president running a software development teams of about 120 people on three continents was that I was a strong technician with strong communication skills and that they wanted a woman executive, so they promoted me possibly faster than I would have been otherwise. Um, but there are definitely situations where I was sexually harassed by bosses, hmm. by employees doing inappropriate uh, actions and behaviors over the years. Was that, at the time, was that just kind of laughed off uh, by, by people, or I did think, people take that seriously? Well, even, I, I think you have to make the decision you know, in the, in the heat of the moment, am I going to pursue this? Was it a big enough deal for me to pursue this and possibly get somebody fired, possibly get me fired? Was it done with malicious intent? Or was it done with a sexual intent? Or was it something that they, something that they said in jest, just trying to get a rise out of me? Mm. And so if you kind of take a step back and you say, was it done maliciously or was it really done sexually? And the answer is, you know, probably not. Do you really want to go after it, hmm. right? It's like, do you want to go into the lawsuit and spend the next three years of your, your life being angry and fighting for this 
if you're not 100% sure that it was meant with malicious or sexual intent. Mm -hmm. And so I let a lot of things go. Mm. Um, I sometimes regret some of that because maybe we wouldn't be having the conversations that we're still having today had my generation pushed harder. Um, you know, I wasn't that first generation that broke all those barriers. I was the generation that benefited from those first generation of women breaking the barriers. And maybe we eased up too much. Mm. That's something that I think about a lot. Hmm. Interesting observation. So um, how, how have your experiences to date led to Startup Chicks? So what is Startup Chicks and, and what sure. it led to that, that launch? So we talked a lot about my experience in corporate America, but um, I definitely know that I was, um, uh, gender played a role in my startup experience. Uh, certainly in the late 90s, uh, I can tell a story of a venture capitalist coming in to meet with the whole team and um, we were going for our Series A at that point. So we're talking probably close to $30 million we're trying to raise from investors from the West Coast. And one of them came into the conference room while I was waiting to give the technical overview of what we do. And um, he said to the CEO, who was a male friend of mine, oh, thank God, I've been dying for a cup of coffee, thinking I was gonna go get the cup of coffee. And all, all like, Roger grabbed on that, my co-founder, and he's like, awesome. I wanna introduce you to our chief technology officer, Jen Bonet. I will get you that cup of coffee. <laughs> right, so I think um, I, I definitely felt a lot of, in, in the startup world, it's, it's very hard, it was very hard as a female technologist to get the credit and, and the expectation that, that you deserve. And so Startup Chicks started around 2008, 2009 because I was going to startup events and I wasn't seeing any women. You'd go to an event, there'd be 100 people in the room and there'd be six women, right? You'd go to a pitch competition and there'd be 50, five zero companies pitching on stage and not a single woman would get on that stage. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this, this is something that maybe I could have an impact on. Hmm. And so it started out to be a community organization. It was really just meant to be a meetup, mm -hmm. right? We had 77 women show up at the very first event here in Atlanta, so we kind of pivoted and, and said, what do you need? Did a survey, and everyone wanted education. Women like to do things right the first time. They don't like to make mistakes. So they wanted, everyone wanted the plan. How do I do a technology startup? So we started creating education to teach women how to build startups. Hmm. And now I think it's gone full circle. There's a lot of other educational organizations, but there's more of a need for that network of like-minded women that are empowered to help each other do amazing things. So hmm. we're a little bit more into the, let's just get together as, as a group of women that are doing similar things and talk about what's going on in our businesses and support each other. Now, you, you, you were doing that and building a lot of bridges um, across the city, across the state, across the region, um, spending time between Savannah and here in Atlanta, and, and all of a sudden now uh, you, you took on the interim role of general manager, now the full-time uh, official general manager of ATDC, the Advanced Technology Development Corporation, the George's... Center. The center, sorry, center. ATDC. I always do center. ATDC Center. I had the first Advanced three. Technology God, Development 75%. Center at Georgia Tech. Seventy-five Georgia's Technology Incubator. Thank you very much. Uh, I I need help sometimes, and that was a really good save. Um, so um, so you're now statewide mandate AT, ATDC. You've always been ATD's always done that, but you're now leading that as general manager. So I'm curious. Um, 
what what patterns and trends are you seeing when it comes to the female startup founders you're, uh, that you come across, and and what is ATDC doing to help support them? Sure. So um, it was funny, you know, you get promoted, and one of the things that one of the leadership says, "Well, I guess we'll finally solve our diversity issue." <laughs> like, was that a dig? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I've been working hard to solve the diversity issue. So what we do is. Um, um, for any uh, minority or female focused entrepreneurial groups that are trying to cultivate activity around that, we provide our educate level membership for free. So educate is usually $25 a quarter for entrepreneurs that are pursuing a technology product centric idea. And there's a whole curriculum that is essentially a non cohort based accelerator program that takes you from ideation to validation of that idea to financial validation of that idea to basic sales and marketing skills to are you investable. And we, we teach that class. Uh, 1,600 people took part of that class, uh, those classes last year, somewhere in the state of Georgia. So if you're a woman in technology uh, and you belong to any other female-focused group around that or, or a minority group, if you're at TechSquare Labs or Opportunity Hub or the Big Accelerator, the WEI for the Mayor's Initiative here in town, if you're out of some of our co-working spaces that we partner with, you're free for that. Uh, we want to teach as many people as possible this process that uh, helps you validate an idea and decide whether or not you should go full-time in the business. Then um, on the other side, we have our incubator program that we coach about 150 companies. So at any given point in time, 650 people are getting education while we coach 150 companies. Uh, for the first time ever, kind of in our top tier program, we have um, seven women CEOs or CTO founders. Mm. So the most ever before was my very first year at ATDC, which was 2011, and we had two female CEOs at the same time. Um, so we've, we've had a dramatic shift in the number of women that we are coaching at a deep level. Um, I will say that the education program is roughly 67%, 47% minority. Hmm. Um, as, as you move up the path to accelerate and signature the incubator programs, there is a difficulty that I see. Um, my hypothesis is that funding is an issue um, because we only get to about 20% uh, female CEOs or minority CEOs in the incubator programs. And I believe one of the key things that is on the checklist to get into the program is that if you do not have a tech, well, you must either have a technical co-founder and or have the funding to build the first generation of the product so that mm -hmm. you can take it to market. So if you don't have the technical co-founder and you don't have the funding to take it to market, you can't be part of the incubator program. And so I believe that our lack of seed funding for minorities and women is holding us back. Mm. Well, we've got a lot more to unpack and I'm glad that you're, you're here for the, the rest of the show. Um, so before we uh, let you out of the hot seat, uh, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Sure. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter. So I'm just Jen, J-E-N underscore Bonet, B-O-N-N-E-T-T -T, on Twitter. Great stuff. So thank you very much. And as Jen uh, exits the hot seat, we'll invite Wei Chun Tai from Mosley Ventures. She is a two-time entrepreneur founder to two startups, one in the mortgage software and the other one naturally in fashion, is those two go hand in hand. Of course. Great story behind that. Now she's a partner with Mosley Ventures, a venture fund investing in 
early stage disruptive technologies here in, in Atlanta and the Southeast. So glad to have you. Thanks for having me. You've, uh, I've, I've been able to hear your story uh, at uh, kind of offline conversations and excited to, to bring your perspective to this. Um, so how, how did you get into the, uh, into the startup and technology sectors? What, what was your origin story? Well, I'm from Taiwan. I grew up in Africa, went back to Taiwan, and then came to the U.S. for my graduate degree. Got my MBA in finance, and naturally you go work for big corporations. Mm. And felt some red tapes, whether it's project-based or overall um, theme-based. I'm hearing customers say something. Then I'm seeing, <clears throat> on the other end, companies taking a totally different direction. Am I blind? Don't know. But opportunity came, I got to start my own startup. So mm. I took it. I started up a, a fashion business and um, gotta go shock the market, right? There's so many fashion business out there, oh, yeah. you gotta make your brand. So I did lingerie as outerwear, immediately placed on the Emmys, red carpet, celebrities wore it, interviews and press and everything. And thought, this is great. Until the orders came in and you're fulfilling them and you never get that check. Mm, Neiman tough. Marcus does not pay. Wow. Sachs, do not pay. They just, <clears throat> that's their business model. They use small brands to support their business. And what do a small brand do is you go try to get um, factor, you get a uh, business line, credit open. And one of those quests is um, the CEO of EPEC. I got a great conversation with him. He said, e-commerce is the way to go. Everything is going digital. I'm going to have my mortgage division completely online. I'm going to mm -hmm. have five mortgage loan officers service the entire country. All the loans gonna come through. And I said, how do you plan to do that? And he said, oh, I heard about this company that they do this. And I said, I can do that. <laughs> I don't know anything about doing that, but I said I can do that. So I went back and I started. <clears throat> so I started looking around and I found this one guy, he works at the company that was mentioned. This is called Amerisave. Mm. So I found him and I asked him, he said, I'm not happy at my job. I said, well, you want to get the happy factor really high, you start your own. And we got into business and our first client was eBank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I said, hey, this is what we have, we want to take, we do SMB, but since you're enterprise, we have to build it differently. So he funded the whole, um, he paid $600,000 to have this product built. We built it in eight months, gave it to him and then the non-compete was only extending to other enterprises. So we sold to SMBs. Hmm. So uh, in, in that journey, uh, I'm, I'm curious, what, what kind of obstacles have, have you encountered then? The interesting thing is, um, when I was in fashion business, the worst experience was dealing with other people in the fashion business. It's almost, I can't say it happens in the startup world as well, but anytime you go growing, you're getting into a business that you're not familiar with. Everybody that come to you in the beginning are the, the ones that are not truly gonna benefit you. Hmm. They come to you to benefit themselves. Hmm. And you gotta wade through all of these noise and wade through the crap to hmm. get to the true essence of the, the leaders in those industry, the influencer, the, the one that will genuinely help you. Hmm. So just be patient. Don't commit so soon. Don't pour your heart out day one. Don't, don't go and take everything as positive 
without any、um, potential of a, a setback.、Mm-hmm. Just be very clear when you're looking at、um, when you're having conversation with people. Just、um, be very cautious. So you, you've made the transition from entrepreneur to to investor now,、um, and I'm curious what what patterns and trends do you see from the investors' side of the table when it comes to、um, female startup founders. When I was a female start startup founder, I feel like I'm getting myself ready. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to talk to everybody. Now as a investor, I'm looking at.、Um, Female entrepreneurs coming. I'm like, you're not thinking big enough. You're preparing too much. Interesting. You, yes. You made that shift. Yes. Now I'm sitting at the other end of the table. I said, well, it's good to have this initial market, an initial addressable market, but that's too small. What's your big vision?、Hmm. Then we look at it. But it's interesting. Women refer. They relate really well to tangible things. Like a good exercise would be say, okay, if you are to sell your company tomorrow for five million, what would you have come? What do you need to accomplish to do that? At twenty million, what do you have to accomplish? Then they relate really well. Men is like, oh, I have this great idea. I'm gonna sell my company for half a billion dollars. You have an app. You have an app that's Facebook for the Latin American market. You're not gonna sell for half a billion. <laughs> So you're saying that men are unreasonable? Men are definitely they they see themselves in the mirror, totally different mirror、uh, image as the rest of the world sees them. <laughs> so Ron Burgundy really is an apt metaphor here. So um, so if I'm tracking what you're saying, the 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 trend that you're 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 seeing is the fact that women are not thinking big enough. They're not thinking audacious enough. They're they're more grounded on what's possible. Is is that is that? That's. Based on the few companies、yeah. I've seen, again back to Jen's point, I haven't seen enough women founder companies,、hmm. and they're not as aggressive reaching out to me. I want you to reach out and say, "You're a woman. I'm a woman. Let's talk."、Hmm. I have had very. They reach out to my partners more than they reach out to me. It's almost like they don't want to play that card. But you have to. You have to play whatever card you have. You're limited on cards.、Hmm. Play them all.、Hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point.、Uh, so, what?、Uh, kind of based on what you're saying, I'm, I'm curious: is there, is there a, a different approach that investors need to be taking to 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 invite more of those kind of kind of conversations? Or are there are there investors that you guys look at that you look at that really are connecting into the female startup founders better? The few female founders, well, we have a a female founder CEO in our portfolio. She's、mm-hmm. actually、um, she's in Tampa.、Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she's not in Georgia. And we're very excited. She, she's very capable.、Um, but there's a common theme of s- several good female CEOs. They're great speakers. They're really wonderful presenters. And、I'm, maybe that's how they got noticed.、Mm. But you look at the flip side: is are you as good as an executor?、Mm. And <clears throat> that can only get you to meetings with all the investors. But we do our due diligence, and、mm-hmm. we continue to work with you before we put money in. That's when everything comes out, and it's almost like: Do you want to have that many heartbreak, all these interests, <clears throat> no result,、mm-hmm. or just start working on how do you present the execution capability a little more to the front, forefront?、Mm. Yeah, it, it, it. What you're saying it makes me kind of step back and realize. I think some of the 
uh, more noble female founders that I've seen in, in the Southeast that really have done very well on the, uh, the pitch competition circuits, right, of going and getting that nice non-dilutable uh, investment. Uh, but really, it's, you know, being able to be out on the, on the, on the road show and, and be able to portray it that way. Yes. Hmm, interesting. Well, I've, uh, just like with Jen, there's a lot more we can cover, um, and I'm excited that we'll have, we have more time. Um, but before I let you out of the hot seat, you've done very well. Uh, I'm curious, where can people find you on the interwebs? Um, go to MosleyVentures.com. Okay. Is, uh, and I'm waiting at MosleyVentures.com. There you go. Well, thank you. You made it through the hot seat. Thank you. We'll get you back in for the round table. And while you vacate the hot seat, we'll welcome Annie Harrison Elliott, a playwright, our very first playwright on the, on the Hump Day Exchange podcast. Uh, Annie received her bachelor's degree from Franklin and Marshall up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, right? Yes. Uh, master's degree from NYU. Her, her work has graced the stages uh, here in Atlanta, New York City, amongst other places, and has received numerous local and national recognition. Uh, she's passionate about teaching art, uh, teaching and arts activism. She's founder of Eyes on the Sky, Arts Learning LLC, the co-founder of Atlanta Women in Theater, and previously served on the board of Working Title Playwrights. Mm -hmm. um, we're excited to, to welcome you here because this is, uh, uh, one, this is actually the location of one of the locations of your latest work, Empty Rooms. Uh, it's going to be brought to life here uh, in a number of locations across Atlanta over the weeks leading up to um, Ada Lovelace's day, right? Mm -hmm, uh, correct. And it'll be performed here during opening week um, in the garage on September 20th. So uh, welcome, Annie. I'm curious, what is your elevator pitch for Empty Rooms? Yes, absolutely. Well, Empty Rooms, we're calling it a tech comedy. I like to think I made that <laughs> up. I don't think I did. Um, but it is a comedy centering around two female programmers. And it kind of explores many of the themes that uh, these women have been discussing today. Um, so I like to think of it as a comedy about very, very serious stuff. <laughs> That's the best comedy, right? Right. The, the I stuff. agree. So you've got a, a couple different characters. And we have our, our, the lead in your play who's in Correct. the room right now. Correct. Uh, Candace is right here. Awesome to have Candace. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, um, what, why, why did you choose the, the themes? That, what, what are the themes? And, and why did you choose those themes in, in the play? Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the major themes uh, running through the play is one of isolation versus connection. Uh, and the protagonist in the play, um, Jennifer, she is this brilliant coder, and she has been the only woman in her office. <laughs> it's great that we have Jen Bonet and that you get the whole thing yeah, about so Jennifer. Yeah. And so she's been the only woman in her office for maybe 20 years, right? And so on the eve of her big launch at the developers conference, her boss hires another woman. So because, you know, as women, we're often raised to be competitive with each other. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's intentional. Mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of the environment that, that, that we've been raised in and, and grew up in. Uh, Jennifer has a hard time now that there is another talented woman on the scene. And so they have to kind of come together. And in the end, they end up supporting each other and deciding to uh, branch out and form their own startup. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so how did you uh, come about those themes, and how did you decide on the characters? I mean, yes. did the characters choose you, or did they? <laughs> did you have some ideas in your mind? Uh, I guess they chose me. A lot of it was based on research that I did about women working in tech, um, but also I was struck by the 
that even though I at first I didn't know much about the tech world being an artist um, but once I dove in and saw the kind of issues that these women were dealing with it felt very universal I think all women have felt unheard and unseen um, and like their talents are not being recognized hmm. and so that really spoke to me uh, being in the arts I think we also deal with that as well so yeah I, was, I'm, I am curious I mean uh, I've been asking uh, Jen and uh, wait, Jen, about the uh, trends and patterns they saw in their sector. What about women in the arts? How does yes. that compare to the, the technology sector? I actually think it's very similar uh, in a lot of ways. For example, in playwriting, only 17% of all plays are written by women. Wow. Uh, yes. And I think tech has very similar statistics uh, with their female coders. And I also think writers and coders are similar in the sense that writers, right, we're telling the stories of our time. And whichever myths or stories are perpetuated, uh, that's a very important look at, look at our world mm. now. It's mm. kind of whoever tells the best story gets to claim history. Mm. And I feel that female coders are really building our world, even though it's often invisibly right behind computer screens and keys. And we as lay people don't often think of that. But if women aren't represented in tech, then what does that future look like? It's certainly not female. And the same with writers. If we don't have writers that are authoring our stories now, who's, who's going to tell the story of our future? Hmm. So it's similar in that way. So, so what, what obstacles have you, have you encountered as, as, a, as a woman in the, in the world of writing? Yes. Uh, well, uh, I'm a younger woman. I'm 34. Can't believe I've just told my age on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but when I started writing Empty Rooms, I was only 30. And I think that I had a hard time being taken seriously or as an expert, especially because the play was research-based. And so I think I encountered a lot of like, oh, really? Are you sure about that? Uh, and because I started it in 2013, before a lot of these conversations were so public, I, I do think I faced more questioning mm. uh, on the subject matter and, and questioning of, of the reality that women face in the tech industry. Um, now, for example, we have this podcast called Women's Planning, thank you, <laughs> where we can actually really talk openly and honestly. But mm. at the time that I started the play, that wasn't happening as much. Um, what was it like? I mean, all the, all the, the, the news items I was sharing in, in the monologue, I'm, I'm curious, as those were unfolding. Yes. Was there a feeling of validation that you're getting from that? Yes. And kind of also, a bittersweet validation? <laughs> yes, but also anger because I felt like the story still wasn't being heard. These women, these amazing women, brilliant women, are still not being heard. And even for the play Empty Rooms, it took an all-female uh production crew to make the story happen. So a female director and a female producer. Um so yeah, I, I did feel validation, but I also felt more fuel to get the story out there because I think more people need to be aware of it, even still. Hmm. Well, I, I should I should give you the chance. Uh, I mean, I know you've got a number of uh, of performances coming up here. Yes. You want to tell a little bit more about the whole concept of of, of why how you're doing the production and Absolutely. where it's going to be? And yes. Um, so we're very excited at Found Stages Theater about this concept. Um, Nicole Palmietto is sitting behind me. Sorry, I had to call you out. <laughs> um, she's directing the play. And so their concept is to actually bring the play to its audience versus the audience going to the play in a traditional setting. 
So we will be actually taking over, for example, the garage. Excited about that. Uh, and turning it into Pegasus Corporation, the <laughs> the setting of empty rooms. And we're very much excited about having a different audience um, rather than the traditional theater goer. We really want to reach the community uh, that this play is about and, and have different types of people come. And you guys will be at like General Assembly, across the market, yes. you'll be here, you'll be number yes. of other places and right? you can check uh it's foundstages.org and we'll be continually updating with new sites uh nice. where you can see the play yeah and we're excited because the timing of this is will be coming out about the same time that the, the premiere is happening so it's yeah good, good stuff good thank time. you for having us oh, no, here this worked out we're always great get it's always great to get e emails of saying hey we want to do a play <laughs> in your space yeah we know it's unconventional thank you <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had a lot a lot of different things here fashion shows oh, yes. we're gonna have car installations it's gonna be amazing so oh, can't wonderful. promise cars during your performance oh drat i really wanted one <laughs> well well uh we, you, you're, you're almost out of the hot seat so Thank before you. before you get out of that hot seat uh, where, where can people find you on the interwebs so this is really embarrassing being in the tech community today i don't tweet guys i'm that's, sorry that's <laughs> um, but you can find me at annieharrisonelliot.com or check out foundstages.org for more information about empty rooms that's awesome well you did it you made it through the hot seat Woo. so we'll clap thank, thank you, you for that and we'll invite jen and wei chun back into the uh, round table come on in we'll take our Headsets off so everyone's equal status. Whew, so so nice. Well, welcome guys back. Well, come. You guys got anything straight up, straight off the off the cuff that you want to get into? Or you want me to throw up a couple softballs for you? Well, no. So I thought it was really interesting because uh, when when Annie yes. was speaking and she brought it down to this is not a tech issue. I don't believe it's a tech issue, right? If you look at the number of women in the House or the Senate or running. Fortune 1000 corporations were in the same boat. It, mm -hmm. It's a gender issue. It's yes. not a tech issue. It's just become a hotbed of topic in tech because of all the recent news. Yeah, and, and in fact, I was in part of the preparation for this. Uh, this is the there's a, a Department of Labor uh, study that was done around this. Exactly, it's tech is not even the the biggest instances of sexual based harassment. If you just look at sexual harassment in the workplace. It is a lot of other sectors. So it's not a sector driven. It is a societal problem. It sounds yeah, like. I mean, actors, actresses, think about the music industry. Just listen to a radio station for an hour and count the number of songs that are played with women singers. You'll find it's like four to 50. Mm -hmm. No matter what station you listen to. Right? Well, so it, fashion is the only industry women are paid higher than men. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But women have a much shorter career uh, duration versus men. Men can be a model till their 60s, mm. and women can. They actually name all the women models that were in their, like the gray hair models, and there's eight. Wow. Eight yeah. of them. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious um, if you were able to talk to your 18-year-old self, what, what advice would you give to that young woman coming into the world and uh, like, uh, let me tell you, I'm, I'm a grizzled veteran of, the, of these, these wars that I've been fighting. What would you, what would you tell yourself to, to help you along the ways with the obstacles that you have encountered and, and you know, things that maybe you're looking back going, God, why did I waste my energy on that? Uh, I know for me, I feel like, especially my 18 year old self, I worried way too much about beauty standards. 
And I wish I had spent that time just thinking about my own ideas and cultivating my ideas instead of wondering if, if men would accept the way I looked. And so now I would go back in and definitely tell that 18-year-old girl to stop worrying about it. <laughs> it's not important. Hmm. Men accept the way I look because I tell them so. <laughs> 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 but I would trust my instinct more. Hmm. Um, it wasn't until I was in my 20s when I realized that humans are the only animals that don't trust our own instincts. Mm. I wish I had learned that earlier. Mm. We kind of convince ourselves our instincts aren't, aren't right? A lot of times you deliberately try to constrain your instincts, even though it's loud and clear what you should be doing, and instead you decide to take something else because the society would think this way, because somebody else is telling you this way, instead of what you really think should be. What about you, Jen? Um, I, I think it's, I did take yoga today, so I think it's breathe. <laughs> 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 yoga at ATDC at one o'clock on Wednesdays, woohoo. Um, but no, breathe. Um, so the insight that I gave earlier of trying to take a step back and, and understanding whether the person that maybe hurt you in whatever manner or form, what, did they do it in, in a you know, sexual way? Did they do it? Uh, did they actually mean it, it intentionally? That my 18-year-old, 18 21-year-old, 18 25-year-old, 28-year-old self probably wasn't self-aware enough to do that. That is a learned behavior. So I think I reacted a lot more um, and, and ha you know, it seemed like everything in your 20s was extremely emotional. Mm. And, and now in hindsight, the ability to, okay, take a step back, was that really about me? Was that about them? You know, that, that's something that your 20-year-old self doesn't know to do. Mm. And so it would be breathe and take a step back and, and ask yourself, did they really mean that in a hurtful manner? Mm. Well, I was thinking, um, about the comment you said about the difference in terms of the, the, the female and, and male st startup founders. Um, and I was introduced to a book uh, by Deborah Tannen a number of years back around the uh, differences in, in ter terms of genders and, and as it comes to communication styles. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm wondering how much uh, a difference, uh, how much of a difference that makes in terms of the way women communicate uh, versus the way men communicate. And if there's, uh, if that is one of those elements that creates the, the the friction points that, you know, guys who are well-intended uh, unintentionally run into, you know, mm -hmm. creating problems because they're not really aware of that difference. Is that anything like that makes sense to you guys? Uh, I mean, I do think sometimes men don't listen very well. <laughs> and I think if they pause to really take in what the other person was saying, that that would help communication mm. in general. And more I also, active listening then? More active listening. And I also think that women, we question our ideas more. And sometimes men don't take that extra step to say, hey, is this a good idea? Because no offense, but they're like, it's awesome. It's already, you know, it's great. I should definitely say this. So I don't know if that's like if that's a conversation of, of privilege or, or what that is, but I, I do think that the the, the whole listening and, and, and also making space for women to mm. speak is important. Have you if guys it, seen? I, so I think, you know, I have a reputation of being extremely tough, as <laughs> does 
I do not. <laughs> so a startup entrepreneur, a startup entrepreneur does not get nervous to come and pitch you. A startup female entrepreneur does not no, get nervous to come and pitch profit. you. No, I mean, so <laughs> I, guidelines. So there. I love it when the people, when women come into my office and they're like, I was told to meet with you. I'm like, great, so let's talk. And they're like, we get into their pitch and they're giving me their pitch and I'm like, I start asking questions and they're like, they're like, wait a second, you're, you're, are you Jen Bonet from Startup Chicks? I'm like, yes, I'm both AGDC and Startup <laughs> Chicks. And they're like, oh, wow, somebody told me I wasn't ready to pitch you yet. <laughs> but, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm tough. Yes, I'm going to be tough. By the way, part of the reason I'm tough is because the rest of the world is tougher mm. on you than they are on the other entrepreneurs. If you get on stage at Venture Atlanta, some other event, and you're a woman, you can't be the equal pitch. You have to be the best pitch. And that's mm. one of the reasons why we work so hard to teach our women to pitch, right? Mm. You, you can't get up on that stage and just be equal. And it can't, it's not always about your business. Mm. You could have the best business in the world, but if you give a crappy pitch, you're not gonna get the attention, the, after, the meeting that you want mm. after the pitch, right? So you can't get up and be equal. You have to be the best pitch in the room. Right, and so my job and what I do today, coaching entrepreneurs, both men and women, is to prepare them for the world that they're going to face when they leave my doors. Mm. And so yeah, if you come in and you're a female and you're not ready to pitch, I'm gonna tear your pitch apart. But at the end of the day, your pitch is gonna be a lot better and you're gonna be ready to go out into the world and hopefully not have a perfect stranger that doesn't actually care about you at all beat mm -hmm. you down. Mm. Like I'm d it's mm -hmm. tough love, right? Mm -hmm. This is tough love. Right, and so I think, you know, um, I had a woman just last week say, are you the stuff on everybody? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. I am, yes, but the world is tough. Like, mm -hmm. so if you can't do this, then, then that's okay, mm -hmm. go get a job. We have um, 21 CEOs, one woman, and interesting enough, when we ask a question and all of the CEOs, majority of the CEOs will say, give you the answer and then give you the background. That's what we always ask. If they go give the background too much, we we'll say, okay, can you give the answer first and then give the background? There is one CEO repeatedly, regardless, we've been, he's in our portfolio, this is the third year. Regardless what we say, his tendency is always give the background first, then the answer. So one day I said, John, when are you going to give me the answer first? He said, what do you want from me? I'm raised by two women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so I'll give you a, a recent story. So I, there's a startup company that we've been working with, and um, I've been working with a venture capitalist that happens to be a young woman venture capitalist out of San Francisco with one of the largest venture capital firms on the planet, with one of the largest funds on the planet. And she expressed interest in meeting this company, and it's led by two, two men. So I make the introduction via email and say, you guys should all connect. She's going to be in town this week. And they blew her off. Mm. Uh, and I asked them why afterwards, and they're like, well, you know, she's probably just an associate or whatever. She's too young. She's too pretty. She's too whatever. And I'm like, guys, she's the real deal. She's a partner. <laughs> and they're like, oh. Wow. <laughs> right? And so it, it, all, all things came to be. She is now their smartest board member. 
so everything worked out. <laughs> yeah. But the first month that they had the opportunity that, to meet her, they blew it off because she was a young, attractive female. So obviously she was an analyst or associate, not a partner. They, that same company blew me off six months ago. Probably, mm. yeah. Mm. And so I'm just like, really, uh, you know, guys, uh, so it's still yeah. happening today. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are now in awe of this woman. So, <laughs> I mean, we've turned the, the corner on that individual situation, but it still happens. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they, uh, they globalize that conclusion or they just, you know, put it off to the side as a, an anomaly in the data. Right? Will, it, will, yeah. will they see that and change their perspective? So I'm curious, I'm like, for those, those of us who are well-intending men, I mean, yeah. well-intending, uh, <laughs> sometimes very clueless, but well-intending, uh, what can, can well-intending men do to help women when they are encountering the, the, the obstacles that you guys have been doing? What, what, an ally, what can we do? Yeah. I would say just reach out, because, um, from my experience, a lot of men will say, I meant to talk, talk to you, I meant to email you, but they never did. Hmm. But the ones that reach out to me, we had wonderful conversation. That includes the venture guy at UPS, the venture guy at HP. You meet them and they said, wow, this is a great conversation, we should have more. But it don't reach out until I reach out. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Also, I think uh, advocate for women. Hmm. Be uh, a voice to like in, 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 when, well, when, in how can in, uh, which, in what context? Maybe not a voice for women, but connect women. Like, let's say mm. if I needed I to meet someone, take that step of of advocating and, and making those connections. Um, I think that's really helpful. And I find that men advocate for women a lot less hmm. than women advocate for other women. Interesting. So be a mentor. All of my mentors, until I started Startup Chicks and met all these amazing women, were men. The reason I got to where I did in my career was because men were pushing me on that path. They were advocating for me being at the board. They were advocating for me being at the table. They were pushing me to possibly speak publicly, give presentations before I felt I was ready. So, So men pushed me on my path. So I think you can be a mentor. The other thing is sometimes I think the young women don't know that they are putting themselves essentially in the back row, not sitting at the table, as Cheryl Sandberg would say. Mm-hmm. They just subconsciously go and, oh, I'm gonna sit in the back. It was always cool to be in the back of the bus. Well, guess what? When you're in business and you're in the real world, like you should sit in the front row, right? You should, part- you should be at the table, you should participate. And so um, if you see a young woman and you're walking into a meeting, you should actually tap her on the shoulder and say, hey, you should probably sit at the table for this one. Mm. It can be that simple. Join me at the table. Mm. That's great. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Ask her what she thinks when when people are discussing something. Be like, oh, you know, Rachel, what do you think about that, right? (laughs) Yeah, let me tell you what I think. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, ask her to participate if she's not already participating. Because she has opinions, she has ideas, she might be a little shy. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but, you know, let's let's raise the bar. Hmm. Let's help our, the way I think about why I started Startup Tricks and when I was the keynote at the We Rise conference, I ended my talk with, like, 
we will be in the same boat in another 10 years or 20 years if we don't step up now. It is time to be vocal. It is time to talk out. The rest of the world is talking out. Let's make this a conversation that our daughters and our nieces and our cousins do not have to have anymore. Let's move past it. Well, uh, I'm going to invite our audience, if you uh, have a question, uh, to come over here to my left side. I'll let you use my micro microphone. Um, I don't see any motion yet, so somebody's going <laughs> to kind of have the yeah, invitation. I thought I, I, thought I kind of wrapped it pretty I well think, there. Bam, but. there it was. <laughs> I, I think they're sitting back stunned. <laughs> stunned by that. I have a question for Go Jen. Ahead. Yeah. Go for it. How do you artfully tell somebody that you disagree with them? It's hard, right? It's really hard. Um, I had a disagreement last night. I don't think I did such a good job <laughs> with it. I think she's probably pissed at me right now. Um, again, some of it's storytelling, right? It goes back to storytelling. I mean, I think if you think, if you start thinking about when you have to have a difficult conversation, how do you tell the story in a way that gets the message across, does not belittle the person but moves the ball forward. And so, you know, some of it's always like, start with a compliment first, right? Those are all those tips that everybody gives, right? End with a compliment, give the bad news in the middle. Um, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes it's just about saying, look, I'm probably gonna say something that might upset you right now, but I'm trying to do it with the best intent. Like, I'm doing this because I, I, I wanna see you grow, I wanna see you move forward with this. And what I'm going to say is probably going to be hard to hear. And, you know, I'm going to apologize for that up front, but, you know, I need to speak my mind. I mean, I had a similar conversation with my sister with her first husband. I tried to con convince her not to get married. She <laughs> said she had to live with him, that she couldn't live without him. So I said, great, we will never discuss this again. She's now happily married to her second husband. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and we're still friends. So I think it's, it's how you say it. You know, you say it with love, right? You say it. I'm, I want to have, it's a hard conversation. We have to have it. I love you. I mean it. I want to see you grow. I want to see you move forward. But I, I, I have to speak my mind. You probably have the same situation. All right, we have a, a first Q&A audience member. Who, who are you and uh, what, what are you with and what's your question? Um, do you want me to hold this? Yeah, I'm Scott Concrete. I'm a psychologist, also running a uh, virtual reality production company um, that's a few months old. So I'm very new to all this. Um, it's wonderful to have you guys here. Um, I'm going to ask, it's not well formulated yet, but, but I'm going to ask a psychoanalytically oriented Great. question, okay? <laughs> Great. I, I, I kind of feel like yeah, I might right. have answered wrong the last question, but okay. <laughs> no, so the, not, not to be intimidating. I mean, those sound like big words, but the, when I was listening to, to Jen, you, Jen um, when you said that you didn't understand or weren't sure what their intentions were in terms of being sexual or being aggressive, mm -hmm. that assumes that they're conscious of that, mm -hmm. right? Where if you come from a psychoanalytic point of view, most of what we do is outside of our awareness. Mm -hmm. And so the dynamics in a 
an organization or such that an individual may not know what they're doing consciously, but the, but the un unconscious intention is to be aggressive. If, so, so with that in mind, is it harder or easier to then say this needs to be dealt with either individually or as, a, in, as an institution? And I'm not sure if I formulated yeah, so, that well I mean, at all. I can't go back. I can't. I can't go back to those situations in you're particular, not on the spot right? Um, no, you know. I think yes. I mean, there's the old story: boys will be boys, right? And that's what we grew up with. Boys will be boys. They're going to do that. They're going to pull your hair. It means they like you, right? <laughs> um, oh, he's beating you up. He likes you, right? Uh, seriously, fifth yeah. grade. Um, <laughs> uh, so. No, I think I think um, so yeah there is some of that I, I do think you know I have I have a inherent belief that most people are inherently good right and so unless you do something to me that is just so devastating I'm gonna try and believe that you're inherently good and that you didn't mean it maliciously and that I'm overreacting, I'm oversensitized to it because of my gender and upbringing and all that and, and see if I can't walk away from it. That's gonna be, after a 30 year career, that's the way that I've learned to deal with it and be promoted. Well, it's right? interesting, you mentioned unconscious, but I think within an organization, can we see each other? Can we see and observe the patterns that are going on and make that more conscious? Is, is that something that's possible? If an individual is acting unconsciously. Sure. I mean, I will tell you that um, just a couple years ago, we had a mentor situation, and mentors at ATDC teach a lot of the classes. And I found out a few months later that um, a mentor in one of the classes, and I don't even know the person's name, so I can't even think about that, was. Um, was giving examples that a black student in our education program felt was racist and, and went to a local leader here in town in the black tech community and said ATDC is racist. I started getting these strange Twitter fights with this leader in the community and we're now good friends. But I, I went and sat down and I said, what happened? What made you think that? Like, I was the assistant director, so I wasn't actually running the place, but I said, I sort of run the place. So I'm, a, I'm not the official leader, but I am, I am running this day-to-day -day show at ATDC, and, and if somebody thinks we're racist, I need to know that. And so it turned out a mentor in one of the classes, every example they gave was essentially racist. Um, so the next, the next day, I mean, that day, I sent out a, a scathing email to our mentors saying that, you know, we serve all people, no matter what your religion, no matter what your gender, what your gender identity, your sexual preference, your race, no, I don't know if I said religion, no matter what, we serve them. And if you're not comfortable mentoring people of all of those different flavors, then there is no place for you at ATDC, hmm. right? And um, the world's different. We are a different place today, but like being brought 
that awareness of somebody saying that they didn't feel comfortable because of just the examples in the class that that person felt were racist, I was like, okay, I can't have that, right? So I think we have the ability to stop it. The minute you notice it, what do you do? How do you step back? How do you be like, okay, that's not acceptable to me, you know? Um, it's never happened since. Uh, and we did have several mentors drop out, so I don't know who it was. <laughs> but, you know, that is not acceptable behavior. That we serve the state of Georgia, we serve everybody. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, there are things that you can do as a leader to, to set a tone that says, you know, hey, that's not really acceptable behavior. If you do it again, you're out. Um, if you're not comfortable being in a work environment that cares about this stuff, then you should find someplace else to work. Hmm. Even if you're working for free. <laughs> I, I, agree. I, I agree with you. And that, that was a wonderful response. Working with um, minorities of every sort, um, when they ask me if I'm homophobic or racist or ageist or whatever, I say, of course I am. Um, no, and I say the same thing to a lot of the... Because uh, there's no way to not uh, be. A lot of the black women that I coach, I'm like, I'm never going to walk in your shoes. There's no way for me to do that, right? So I'm going to try and understand the world that you live in, and I'm going to try and prepare you so that your business is the best business plan, the best execution plan that you can possibly so that you can move forward, hopefully, no matter what. But I will never walk in your shoes. I'll never walk in your shoes. Right. right. That's, that's actually an interesting uh, experience of mine. As I talk to a, um, an African-American female founder, mm -hmm. and when I ask a question, I ask everybody, she, gets offend she got offended. Mm -hmm. I asked a question, I said, um, do you have um, your, your development crew do you have enough um, expertise in it? And because I saw she will only hire African-American mm. developers. So I said, do they have it? And she was very offended. Yeah. And she said, would you ask the same question if it's an all-white male developer crew? I said, absolutely. I asked that all day long. Why don't you have Indian? Why don't you have Chinese? And it's very, it's not a story that I'm proud of. But because how did she get to that mindset is the bigger question. Yeah. Because no. a, a legitimately concerning business-driven question got treated that way is only because there's so many more layers that led to it before. Yeah, I mean, so think about this, right? So the venture funding for female founders is roughly 7% of all venture-backed companies have a female founder. It's up a little bit last year. Um, so it's improving, uh, but we're talking like less than 20 women, le less than 20 African-American women have ever received more than a million dollars of funding from anybody, ever. Wow. Right? This Digital Undivided did a project called Project Diane, right? And so the big accelerator downtown is working on trying to solve that problem, but so, you know, if I'm coaching a black woman, I can't, you know, we can't change the statistics of the history, right? But I can help you prep so that you can nail the meeting 
such that maybe we can change the numbers in the future, mm -hmm. the statistics in the future. Let's not worry about the statistics. Let's focus on the business. Let's plan a great business. Let's grow a sustainable, scalable business because then nobody can say no to you. Any final thoughts for you, Annie? I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I will give you one more, uh, one more round if you guys want. Uh, uh, I've got time for one more discussion topic if you guys have one for each other. Uh, otherwise, we can wrap and uh, go find something else to do. So I, I did make some notes. I made some notes while Wei Tong was speaking. Um, it's interesting enough that you think that most women don't think big enough because that's uh, something that I, I, I see as well. Is, um, you know, they say that a man sees a job description and if he matches 20% of it, he thinks he's perfect for the job and applies. But if a woman <laughs> reads 80% and she doesn't match 80%, she won't apply. But so the same thing with startups is, is one of the things I see. Yeah. Is that, is that a risk aversion? Is that risk, risk profiles? Is, is oh, I don't know if women are risk averse, but I do know women are conflict averse. Because when you go out there and mm. start talking to customers, start talking to other um, people in the ecosystem, <clears throat> you're conflict averse that you don't want to disagree. That's another reason I was asking Jen, how do you artfully disagree? Because my partners and I, we go into shouting matches. There's mm. no artfully way of doing oh, yeah. it. Yeah, so. <laughs> With my co-founders. My former co-founders, we yeah. used to fight like that. Yeah. I think it makes a better company. Right. My, my two partners, they, um, they are very polite to each other, but they yell at me, and I yell back. So <laughs> it's just, yeah, and it, because I feel that I can't speak for other uh, women, mm -hmm. but in my case, I feel sometimes um, they try so hard to act a certain way in front of you that is either that or not. Mm -hmm. So by the time they no longer can act that polite, it breaks, become a shouting. Mm -hmm. But with men, it just, they never needed to shout. They're always like upfront and there's always very clear. Oh. And I, I hate when I was talking about certain things and one of my partner will put on a frown. I'm like, you put that frown away and you talk to me about it. Right? Don't do something subtle, but they don't do that to other men. Mm. It, they come out and say it. So when you first say things, it's, it's a smaller disagreement. It's, in the, yeah. it's a limited I scope. Can see that. And yeah. they can collaborate from there, there on. But with me, they had to hold back and hold back until the, the gate breaks. Yeah, my experience was mostly through coaching. As co-founders, we fought. Like we would have blaring fights, right? like screaming at each other. Um, and the whole company would be freaked out about it. And then you know, one of us would finally say, okay, I'll go your way this time and get on the scooter and walk <laughs> scoot down the hall. <laughs> right, and everything would be fine. But I think you know, at the end of the day, when you're both, when you're all so passionate about building something that really matters, you're gonna get in those fights and it's okay to get in those fights. And it's healthy, I tell my companies, I say I don't want lukewarm. Mm. If no, anything yeah. is lukewarm, yeah. don't do it. I want black and white. I want you to fail, I want you to fail miserably so you know not to do that. I know it's cliche, but lukewarm is the worst thing that can happen. Oh, 
oh, some adopter, some early adopter, oh, some early traction. That's lukewarm to me. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we, we have yet just scratched the surface of this topic, so I hope, hope to have more conversation like this. It's been good, so I appreciate you guys spending time woman explaining to me. I'm a naive man that needs to learn his ways better. So um, well that, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Hump Day Exchange. And I want to thank our guest, Jen Bonet, Wei Chen Tai, and Annie Harrison Elliott, and our strategic partners, University Financing Foundation, Gateway Development Services, ATDC, the Advanced Technology Development Center, <laughs> Scheller College of Business, Square on Fifth, the Metro Atlanta Chamber, Choose ATL, MARTA, Honeywell, The Combine, and the Atlanta Bridge Community. Uh, be sure to check out TechSquareATL.com for regular stories about TechSquare. Learn more about the Sandbox ATL membership network at SandboxATL.com and book your breakthrough event at BookTheGarage.com. So a uh, final thank you to you, our listeners. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love it. If you share this podcast with your friends, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review uh, either at iTunes or SoundCloud. So until you see the camel silhouette beamed into the sky again, this has been the Hump Day Exchange. <laughs>